Today's reading comes from the first letter to the Corinthians. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Have you not the result of my work? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, and as do other, the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muscle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the, hope, in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Anna. If you can keep your uh, Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that'd be great. And let's pray that God will speak to us today. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, and we pray that your active word will speak to us and shape our mind and shape our hearts. And not only will it um, chip away the parts that are not godly, Lord, we pray that the gospel will create in us a new desire to serve you, to honor you, a new desire to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
me see if this works. No, that's fine. Um, it's rare to people, uh, rare to see people uh, who uh, give up something, give up uh, what they believe that they're entitled to. In fact. It's rare to see people actually give up things that they are not even entitled to uh, if they have it already. I think the first slide should come up. Last week, we saw the remarkable story of Sepp Blatter giving up his presidency only when others uh, started to reveal his involvement in the corruption. We occasionally see people maybe giving up their seats in the MTR uh, to the elderly or pregnant, but mostly... Our society is all about insisting on our rights, on our rights, holding on to them as long as we can. Gay rights, children's rights, students' rights, citizens' rights, abortion rights, religious rights, customers' rights. Our rights, our our society is filled with talks about our rights. And if we have read read through whatever contract that you have, uh, whatever contract that you have signed, it's mostly uh, most most likely because you wanted to discover what your rights are as a customer or as a rights uh, rights are as an employee. Well, that's how this chapter seems to start out. Chapter nine, Paul talks about his rights specifically as an apostle. He says, he tells the Corinthians, even if the world doesn't recognize him as an apostle, but they should because he was the one who brought the gospel to the Corinthians. He says he is an apostle to them. Then, he says, he has rights as an apostle. A right, uh, for example, to eat and drink, verse 4. In verse 5, don't we have the right to take a believing wife with us? You see, his was a traveling ministry, and uh, the ministry is not supposed to wreck his marriage, if he had a wife, actually. Now, not only should they support him, they, he's saying that they should support the wife as well, the family as well. And finally, he goes on to say, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? What he's saying is that he has the right to be supported by the congregation, right to be paid for his ministry. He doesn't just make lists of these rights. He actually gives five different reasons why uh, he has these rights. He makes arguments for them. In fact, five. He says in verse 7, for example, that it's a common practice for workers to be paid for their work. Soldiers don't serve at their own expense. Farmers, when they farm, they eat the fruit of their their, their work. And secondly, Scripture itself commands that this such payment to be made. He quotes uh, in, chapter, uh, in verses 8 through 10, the law about the oxen has having right to eat from the field in which it works. He says that's, about, that, that's not about the oxen, that's about the people. They have the right to eat, to, to, to be provided for. Thirdly, he argues in verse 11 and 12, that it's only a matter of fairness. If other people are supported in this way for their hard work, why shouldn't he be supported? The apostles should be supported in this way. And he then goes on to, uh, to, to see Jewish customs in verse 13. Well, the temple priests get provided for. And then finally, he plays the Jesus card. Verse 14, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. He probably has in mind something like Matthew. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 8 through 10, when Jesus told his disciples, as he's sending the disciples out, not to take any money with them, not to take any gold or silver or any money because the laborers deserve his food, he says. He sounds like a man who's taken a good negotiation class, and knows all the rights, uh, right thing to say. 
He sounds like he's about to make a demand, uh, not only that the Corinthians start paying him, but maybe for his back pay as well, that he could stop working as two jobs, one as a tent maker and another as an apostle of Christ. But of course, there is that surprising twist in verse 12. After all that talks about rights, he declares, you know, I didn't use any of these rights. And he goes on further. He says in verse 15 that he's not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. See, he's not writing to get what he's owed. The letter is not a a way of him hinting what they should be doing. He says he would rather die than receive a payment from them for his work. That's not the reason for his letter. He gave up these rights voluntarily, not because he didn't know his rights, not because he didn't deserve them, but he gave these rights up voluntarily. He doesn't want to get what he deserves. Well, if you're asking, why does he write in the first place, then actually, um, I don't know if you spotted it, but he says that in verse, he gives a reason in verse 3. He says he's writing as a defense to those who sit in judgment on him. He's writing against those who are saying, well, Paul's not a true, a true apostle. He doesn't even get paid. His own congregation doesn't support him. They're saying that he's really a tent maker. He's a tent maker who has this hobby horse of preaching what he wants. He's not an authority figure. He's not a true apostle. His message must be worth nothing because he charges nothing, they're saying. And so that's why he's writing. He's writing it as a defense. He's saying he is an apostle. He has these rights. It's not that he doesn't have these rights. He gave up his rights freely, voluntarily. He should be supported. Food, drinks, money enough, not for him, um, but also for his wife. He has that right, but he gave it. He didn't want it. In fact, he says he'd rather die than to have it. The second question then comes is why? Why did he give up these rights to be supported for his ministry? After all, it seems that other apostles were being supported. Cephas, he names, Jesus' brothers, they're supported. Why not him? He says in verse 12, We put up with anything rather than to hinder the gospel of Christ. It's because, um, this is, I think, the second point there, um, should be slide five. There we go. The reason there is in verse 12, it's because his receiving a compensation at this, in this situation might hinder the gospel of Christ. That word hindrance is a military uh, word. It's an ob- it describes an obstacle that would stop an advancement of an army from coming in. What he's saying is that gospel has been advancing. It has been going forward. And he doesn't want his demanding of his rights to be a hindrance that stops the advancement of the gospel. He doesn't want to get in the way. And you can kind of imagine what is happening here. Often when the gospel reaches a new place, money becomes a hindrance, doesn't it? Imagine if you went to a remote part of Afghanistan or something, and you started demanding that the, convert, uh, the people who are converted start paying you uh, for, uh, for, for your ministry. They might think, well, you've just only come here for money, haven't you? This might become a hindrance. I know that there are many those uh, today, even in Hong Kong and other places, that actually uh, who believe the church exists for itself, uh, for that I do my work for myself, for a living, for me. That church exists, church workers exist uh, for their own existence. Not only that, many philosophers and teachers back then actually did charge money for their teaching. 
But if Paul did that, he's sure that that would become a hindrance to the advancement of the gospel because that would limit the number of people who would hear the gospel. So he worked a second job as a tent maker so that he could offer the gospel free of charge. Rather than insisting on his rights, he gave them up so that he might further the advancement of the gospel. But then I think he goes further, which I think is what's so remarkable about this thing. He says that there is a reward for this. There is a reward. Uh, we're still good there, Joanna. Uh, verse 17, he's, he says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What he's doing there, if you read carefully, is that he's talking to people like me, t- talking about people like me. You see, I've come to this church this morning, uh, in a sense, involuntarily. Because this is my job. I wake up this morning and I don't go, ah, you know, I'll skip church today. I don't have that option because I get paid to do this ministry. When I do this, I'm simply discharging the trust that has been committed to me. You know, sometimes I know that I have a great job because, you know, some of you thank me for my preaching or visiting or baptizing or whatever work that I do, and it's just a great thing. But, you know, I get my reward, in a sense, already. I get paid to do my ministry. Yes, it's a great joy and privilege, but my reward, in a sense, is already given. And I and the staff um, here are generously provided for You see, Paul is talking about something different here. He's doing something different here. He's doing it involuntarily, he says in verse 17. And he says that there is, that's because there is a different kind of a, of a reward. And he goes on to say in verse 18, he asks that question, what is my reward? He says, just in preaching the gospel that I may offer it free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. He says that is his reward. He didn't talk about money. He didn't even talk about sort of spiritual wealth that he might get. He simply says that the fact that he gets to preach the gospel, that he gets to offer it free of charge in and of itself has been his reward. His reward is simply is all, the, the act itself, doing it himself, the, 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 all, his preaching of the gospel free of charge. That in and of itself, he says, has been his reward. I think this is slightly difficult to get in this sort of me-centered generation, but have you ever been part of something that is so great that it came at a great cost to you, but you walked away thinking, you know, I would do that again because that was a great privilege to be a part of. That was something that I would pay to do because that, that, that in and of itself was a reward because in and of itself was a joy. That's what Paul is talking about. Him being able to offer the gospel free of charge is his reward. That's why he works a second job. The closest example that I can think of is maybe parenthood. Parents make a lot of sacrifices, and if you ask, well, what's the reward? Well, it's the parenting itself, that they get to, be, they get to watch their children grow, that they are part of their children's lives. That in and of itself is the reward. See, Paul knows the joy of participating in the gospel work because he didn't insist on his rights. He gave them up, and he has, uh, he has that privilege of being part of the gospel work. The series is named Gospel Changes. Gospel changes us, 
And one way that the gospel should change us is that it makes us a people who do not insist on our rights, things that we're entitled to, if that giving up our rights means being part of the gospel movement, being part of the advancement of the gospel. The reward is simply knowing that we are participating in something that is greater than us, participating in God's work, in God's mission around the world, bringing people who don't yet know Jesus Christ, bringing people into a deeper relationship and discipleship of Christ. That in and of itself is the great privilege that we can be a part of. And I want to ask, do you know that joy? Do you know that joy? I think many people in this church, I think I'm happy to say, I think they know this joy. I think of many people in our church, people think, people like, uh, people in the refreshments, uh, refreshment team, who come early to set up, clean up every, uh, every Sunday faithfully, um, and they do it with a smile. They don't get paid. They don't even really get much acknowledgement. And when we do acknowledge them, they usually say, well, it's, it's, it's a privilege. Our music team is the same way, leading us in worship and participating in leading worship uh, of God, I think has its own reward. They're able to do it, and they don't, because they don't insist on their right to rest on Sunday morning. Because they don't say, well, you know, I've worked a long week, and so therefore I have a right to sleep in this morning. They don't insist on that right, and they come early to serve us, because in and of itself has its own reward. Many people in this church give generously, and they, when they have the right to their own money. I remember uh, Hugh Palmer, uh, the rector of All Souls in the church that I worked in, he, t- he tells a story about how he went to this funeral uh, of a Christian man, and as part of the eulogy, this man uh, said of him, he could have easily died a wealthy man, but by the grace of God, he didn't. And I thought, what a great line. I mean, the, the, the gospel has so moved him that he gave up his rights to be a, to, to, for a wealthy lifestyle so that he could advance the gospel further. Our children's team, youth team, our mission partners who give up so much of their time, their life, they know the joy of giving up their rights in order to be part of something that God is doing around the world. And so may I challenge you to take up this opportunity to reflect on what rights that you are insisting on that you might forego for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it's as small as musical taste, Musical tastes, if that means if you let go of your musical taste and let go of your favorite songs to sing on Sunday morning, if it would bring more people to church and to hear the gospel, would you be willing to give that up? Time and energy obviously is a big thing in Hong Kong. Would you be able to give some of that up if there is a person who's willing to meet up with you one-to-one to explore Christianity? There are many, many people who are asking these questions. They don't have people to meet up with. Would you be willing to give up your time during the week to meet with a friend who's searching? Would you be willing to give up your retirement for the sake of the gospel? Not insist on a comfortable retirement, but a gospel-minded retirement. I know that there are people in this church who do that already. Your holidays over the summer, going on a mission trip to serve God. The thing about this is that a church that insists on their rights is a dead church. It's a dead church because they have put themselves before the gospel. And of course, 
This is, I think, this passage has been especially challenging for me, who, who do this involuntarily. I think about this a lot. Am I, am I making sacrifices for the gospel? Am I giving up our, my rights for the gospel? Is that reflected in the way that I spend money, I spend my time, I spend my energy? Am I doing that? Are we willing to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel? You know, on Wednesday mornings, uh, what we do uh, in our church offices, the person who is preaching brings the, 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 the passage and the main points, um, and then we as a team discuss. But this week, uh, on this Wednesday, if this passage fueled a huge debate uh, because uh, we're asking, how much of this sort of sacrifice points to sort of salvation by works? If we're saved by grace, do we have to make these sacrifices? Do we have to, make, uh, do we have to give up our rights? Of course, I think this is a problem. I think we're in uh, nine now. Of course, this is only a problem if we don't understand what the gospel is. Rico of Christianity Explored often says that the gospel is not, if, 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 the, if the gospel is not the greatest news you've ever heard, you don't actually understand the gospel. If this is not the news, the, the, the best news, if this isn't the news that makes us most happy, that makes us lose ourselves in it, if this isn't the news um, uh, that, 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 that will make us want to sell everything um, uh, to get it, if this is not the news that we want to make sacrifices so that others could hear the gospel, then we haven't understood the gospel. If our gospel does not move us into action, we have not understood the gospel. And I think Paul really gets it. Paul really gets it, doesn't he? Doesn't he? This is what he wrote to, to, to his, in his letter to Philippians. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I, I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He gets it. This is the greatest message that he has ever heard. This is a message. The thing is, I think this is the thing. Um, the gospel cannot be just a concept in your mind. The gospel cannot be something that you just sort of think of theoretically. The gospel has to touch you. I think this is where the changes come. If you really understand and grasp hold of God's grace for you. And the thing, the, the reason why Paul is able to do this is because Paul has that personal, the gospel is personal for him. Uh, in another place, his, in his letter to Timothy, he writes this. And, 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 and take a look at how personal this message is for him. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing, to me, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy that in me, 
the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He can give up his rights. He can give up his life. He can give up his rights as an apostle because he knows himself to be a sinner. In his words, the worst of sinners. But not just as a sinner, not just as the worst of sinners, but a sinner rescued. He can work tirelessly, hours and hours as a tent maker, go through shipwrecks, go through diseases, be stoned and imprisoned, even if it costs his life, if he gets to preach the gospel. Because it has saved him. Because he knows that it will bring salvation to others who hear this message. It's a personal message for him. When uh, Mary and I got married, uh, many people gave us gifts, often gifts that we wouldn't think of buying ourselves because um, it's maybe slightly out of our, our, our price range because it's just a bit more expensive than what we would normally spend. They were given to us free of charge, free of charge. But we know, of course, that this isn't free. This isn't free. Some people paid for them, and that's why we were able to receive it free of charge. And that's the picture of the gospel. The eternal life that Paul talks about is given to sinners free of charge. Not because it was cheap, but because God sent his son, Jesus, to pay for this. And Paul is doing something similar then. He is giving up his rights so that he could point people to the grace of the gospel free of charge. But you see, he's not simply just imitating Christ. He's not just imitating Christ. What's happened to him is that he has received this gospel and he has understood it. He, is, he has changed by it. He's compelled by it. He's moved by the gospel. And he simply just wants everybody to come to know the gospel that he knows. That's why he's able to work a second job not get what he deserved if it means that people can hear the gospel free of charge from him. This is because for him, the gospel is the greatest news that he's ever heard. And he's so confident the gospel is the greatest news that everyone in the world can hear. Of course, we won't all be like Paul, giving up everything. If Paul is our standard, we all fall so, sh- so short. But I think it's worth asking if there is any measure of sacrifice. It's worth asking if we're compelled in any way for the sake of the gospel. Because if it doesn't move you in this way, if it doesn't move you to sacrifice some of what you have so that others can hear the gospel, others can grow in the gospel, then we probably haven't understood it. We won't change until we understand the gospel. So let's do uh, what um, uh, let's do. Uh, let's let's do what what we can only do in this uh, in in this circumstance. Let's pray. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will come and move this gospel that's in our head to our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for 
Your son, Jesus, we thank you for the love that you have for us, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you that you did not insist on your rights. You, your son didn't insist on his rights to be worshipped, in his, in his rights to, be, um, to, to the comforts of heaven, in, in eternal relationship with you, that he gave up those rights and came down for us. We thank you for the example of Paul, who did not insist on his rights because he was so moved by what you have done. And Lord, send us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, do the thing that only you can do, which is move us in the message of the gospel. Help us to grasp, help us to understand this gospel deeply. And then help us to know the freedom of being able to give up our rights, not because we have to, but because we want to. Not because we're fulfilling the requirements of law, but because we are compelled and moved by the grace of your son, Jesus. And help us to be a church that is self-sacrificial so that others might come to know your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.